Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Well, hello everyone to Community of Hope West Palm. My name is Jose. I'm the campus, I'm the campus pastor here at this campus at West Palm Beach. Giselle told me I couldn't keep my lifeguard costume even though it's Halloween, so I had to change. <laughs> I get so emotional when um, when I see a, a young person, especially at his age, ten years old, come to faith and and get baptized. Jesus said, "Let all the children come to me." You know, if only we had more of a childlike faith, I think the world would be in a better place, wouldn't it? Well, today, before we begin our uh, new sermon series, I'd like to just quickly announce that today is actually the end of our pumpkin patch. At 1 p.m., the pumpkin patch is officially closed, and here's the news for you guys. We are actually, um, you know, if you're interested and you still want to get some pumpkins, you could go after service and look at any of the pumpkins that are still there and you'd like to take, and if you are willing and able and you'd like to support the ministry as well, you could make uh, a quick donation of any size for any of the pumpkins um, or you could take them if that's, if, uh, if that's fine with you as well. So uh, we're just leaving it open to you guys. Uh, it's the last day again, and we just need the pumpkins to go. So <laughs> to put it nicely. Enough said on, on that. Actually, no, not yet. Not enough said on that. I'd like to share also, um, Eric Kuyper was sharing with me that we actually raised in total about $17,000. Yeah, for, from this campus... From this camp, that's why I said we're not done sharing about it yet, and uh, and not just not just because of the money, but actually, I think he told me it was like thousands of people, a couple thousand people actually came on this campus because of the pumpkin patch. That that is what we wanted. We wanted families, we wanted the people in our area to see we are alive, we're well, and we want them to come home. And we wanted to reach out, and so that's what it was all about. I want to just thank. Everyone who supported this the past three weeks. It was a lot. I know it was. It was a lot of effort. It was a lot of work. I just really, really from the bottom of my heart want to thank each and every volunteer, no matter how big or small the contribution was in terms of the labor you put in. Thank you so much. Can we just an applause for all our volunteers? Absolutely. Well, it's October and today is Halloween, so we thought we'd take a look at a subject that seems appropriate not only for this time of year, but I think also for the life of our church and in our lives today. We're going to begin a discussion on peace that, we've, that we're calling deep peace, the only peace that God is able to bring and bestow upon our lives. And the subject of deep peace, deep inner peace, made it into our teaching team for two reasons. The first is that there seems to be such a lack of peace everywhere we go. Am I right? I mean, people are just on edge with not only what's going on in culture, but what's going on as in their lives. There's just a lot of pain going on nowadays that we're constantly on edge. And that on edge feeling sort of reminds me of when I went to Cuba a couple 
couple years back for the first time. We were staying in this little, in this church in Cienfuegos, if you know where that is. Um, and when we, were, when we were in this church, it was the middle of the night, it may have been two or three in the morning, it was pitch black. No AC, right? We're there in the little missionary rooms and, and I have to use the restroom. And so, but accidentally I knocked my pillow behind the bed onto the floor between the baseboard and the wall in this dark crevice area. And so I picked up my pillow and there was this dark black creature on the pillow. Starts with an R and rhymes with coach. It was about this big. I'm not even kidding. You could say I was on edge (laughs) and sleep deprived for the rest of the trip. You see, there's so many things in our culture similarly that keep us sleep deprived and keep us on edge. And it's really become increasingly difficult to live with internal peace, the internal peace that comes through faith in Jesus. And it's not a denial of outside circumstances. It's not a matter of, you know, ignorance of just ignoring the problems. It's what I'm talking about is an inability to live in the peace that Jesus gives in the midst of our fears, in the midst of what's going on. And so we thought that this would be an excellent idea to really hone in in the life of our church. And the theme verse for this series is actually a promise from God. A promise from God in Isaiah 26, verse 3. It's on the screen. And here the prophet Isaiah says, You, talking about the Lord, you will keep in perfect peace those whom, whose minds are steadfast because they trust you. Because they trust you. Our faith doesn't promise that we won't encounter pain. I think it's a false conception that a lot of times people have. That once I become a Christian, things sort of... The skies clear up, the the roses blossom, and that's not actually the promise that Scripture gives, but Scripture does promise one thing, and that one thing that it does promise is peace, the peace that Jesus gives us. It's not an absence from storm, it's his presence within the storms. It's not a denial of difficulty, it's a power from him that's stronger than whatever's pressing in on us. And our goal across these weeks is simple. I want to talk in, in our opinion, in the opinion of our teaching team, three major t- culprits, if you will, that rob our peace. And in week four, we're going to talk about a practical remedy that we think that scripture teaches in, uh, that Jesus has taught and scripture teaches in order to combat uh, the, what's robbing our peace, these issues. And so today we're going to begin our series as we take a look at the first culprit that robs our peace. And that culprit is fear. Fear. What a great topic to talk about on Halloween, right? (laughs) And so for our purposes today, I want to define fear as fear of the present realities. Anxiety around the present realities that are around us. The stuff right now. In the present, that's robbing our joy, that's robbing our peace. See, in many ways, the amount of things in our culture that tempt us to live in a perpetual state of fear have increased over the last 20 years. I want to take a quick look at these interesting findings from a survey that sought to uncover the major reasons that Americans are in fear 
today in 2021, some of which included mass shootings, not having enough money for retirement, terrorism, government corruption, hate crimes, high medical bills, widespread civil unrest. It sounds like our 24-hour news cycle. It does. 45% of people said they are experiencing more daily fear than they were 12 months ago. That's incredible. After a year of isolation and conflict, the idea of losing a loved one, not just to death, has increased. Did you know that one in five people are afraid of losing a loved one to a political difference? Hmm. As a result, 2020 was labeled the most stressful year on record, and 2021 is not far behind, I would bet. And the American Psychological Association said rampant anxiety has become a national mental health crisis. This is the world that we're living in today. It's the world that you're living in. It's the world that your children are living in today. And how we are in the world, we are not of the world. How do we live not in ignorance of fear, not in ignorance of these issues, but through them, by the grace and in faith in Jesus. You see, the, to- the scriptures have lots to say about this topic of fear, and today I want us to explore a familiar story, a somewhat familiar story in the book of Matthew, and we're going to see how the disciples encountered fear and what Jesus speaks into their situation. So would you go with me to Matthew 14, verses 22 through 33. Matthew 14. Verses 22 to 33. I'll start reading in 22. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out of his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when, he climbed, when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Let's pray. Lord, we recite those very words. Truly, you are the Son of God. 
Lord, as your servant Samuel prayed, he said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Your servants are listening this morning. Would you speak to us? Would we hear your voice, Lord, and would we be changed in and through the preaching of your word to be more like you? We ask in the name of Jesus, amen. So let's talk a little bit about the context. What is going on in this passage that we just read? So Jesus, he just finished performing a huge miracle, about 5,000 level huge. He actually fed probably over, scholars think, 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and fish. It was a huge high of faith for his disciples who witnessed this miracle. And then Jesus says, go across the Sea of Galilee and I'll meet you over there. And what's interesting about the story, however, is that Peter, during the storm, when the storm arises, Peter takes an initial step of faith. He climbs out of the boat and then he shrinks back in a little wind of fear. But, you know, it gives me a little bit of hope this morning. Because on, if we're honest with ourselves, if we, can, if we can say that, how many times do we maybe take initial steps of faith and then find that it's really hard and want to shrink back in fear. I think we would, if we're honest, we'd find the pattern of Peter's lives, the pattern of Peter's life in our life as well. But there's a key verse in here in the climax of this story where they cried out in fear in verse 26. So let's take a deeper look at this story and see how it speaks into our lives and to the fears that are around us. So firstly, firstly, I want us to notice this morning that fear in and of itself, is not the real problem. I'm going to say that again. I want us to notice that fear is not the real problem. To refresh our memory, I'd like to just briefly read verses 25 to 26 one more time, where it says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And this is the key verse. They cried out in fear. And so I just finished emphasizing just a few minutes ago how fear is impacting our lives. And it's sort of creating an obstruction, right, where we are having an inability to live out our faith. But now I'm saying it's not the real problem. Let me explain what I mean by that. In the text we read, the disciples are caught in a very vicious Storm, And how do I know that? Because some of them were fishermen. And if you're a fisherman by trade, you would be used to some storms occasionally on the lake, wouldn't you? You would know that every once in a while you're going to get caught in a tempest and you're going to have to figure it out. This one must have been really bad, really bad for them to have cried out in fear. Maybe their boat is about to capsize. Who knows? And then in the midst of this scenario, I want you to sort of imagine this in your mind. A dark figure is walking on the water towards them. I think we would all be fooling ourselves this morning if we said we would not be afraid in a moment like that. So they're at sea. This is going on and they are afraid. But actually the fear in and of itself, in and of itself, the fear they're experiencing isn't necessarily the problem. And the same goes for you. Fear actually has a proper place in our lives. It has a function 
given to us by God. And we only typically talk about it in negative terms, but actually it's a little bit short-sighted. And let me prove that to you. Look what Christian author John Ortberg in his book, that has a long title, so get ready for it. If you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. (laughs) That's the title of his book. And in his book, he writes this. At its simplest and most benign, fear, catch this, is an internal warning cry that danger is nearby. And we had better do something about it. It's designed to be what researchers call a self-correcting mechanism. To be unpleasant enough to motivate us to take action and remove ourselves from whatever is threatening us. It readies our bodies to flee, to hide, or to fight for our lives. Basically, in other words, fear is a natural function that God instilled in our human bodies to help us in dangerous or unforeseen circumstances. Let me give you a little example. A couple years ago, we went uh, to Tennessee and we stayed in the Smoky Mountains. It is a gorgeous place. If anybody's been to the Smokies, it is awesome. But There's a reason that the U.S. National Forest's mascot is called Smokey Bear. (laughs) You can tell where I'm going with this. See, as we were hiking, there was someone in our party that thought it would be a good idea to bring along honey oat bars. Emphasis on the honey. (laughs) So when we finally reached the summit of of this trail that we're doing on the mountain, there's, there's some benches, and she sits down on the bench, and right behind her, there's some groves. And all of a sudden, I mean, we're sort of a little ways beyond, and we're looking, so we sort of have a, a clear picture of the whole scene, and all of a sudden, a black bear comes out of those groves and begins to sniff her backpack right behind her, and everybody Literally, just like the disciples, they cry out in fear. But it was so, probably so much fear that it wasn't an audible cry. It was an internal cry because they just, they sort of gasped and they started backing up. Like you could just imagine. And they wouldn't tell her. They didn't tell her anything. And they didn't know what to say. I mean, this is a true story. You know, when you're sort of paralyzed by fear. And it, it only took a couple seconds. It only really just a couple seconds for her to realize there's something behind me. She turned around. <laughs> I remember her face to this day. She freaked out. And she, the bear, the bear, luckily, was like an adolescent bear. It wasn't like a mama bear or something like that. And, and the bear sort of ran away, and she got up and ran. And it was a, a scary, but I guess, post-story. It's years later. It's funny, right? Not when you're actually there. From, there. from that moment on, I determined I would never, ever take honey on a hike. Can everybody just commit to doing that? Don't take honey on a hike in the Smokies. But you see, something told those people to get away from that bear. Something told them to protect themselves. And that something is a healthy amount of fear. A healthy amount of fear. It told those, get away before you get pounced on by a black bear. Here's the amazing thing about the human body, which displays God's glory. Really, really it does. Your mind senses danger. It causes your body to go into fight or flight mode, live or die. It's, there's no middle. 
Your long-term and rational decision-making is obstructed. It's hard to, to think about things. Adrenaline is released. Your heart is pouncing to disperse the oxygen into your body. Your blood pressure goes up. Your digestion, it stops because you don't need to digest your lunch if you're about to die. Get pounced on by a bear, am I right? You need to survive. You need to run. That's what the human body does, and it happens in lightning speed, right there. And your body does this automatically to help you survive, and that's how God created us. You see, I hope this was helpful in dispelling the myth that fear is the ultimate villain, because actually it's not. It's not. Fear itself isn't the real problem. The absence of faith is the real problem. I'm going to repeat that one more time. The absence of faith is the real problem, which leads into our second point. Faith isn't the absence of fear. Faith isn't the absence of fear. Would you read with me one more time verses 27 to 31 in Matthew 14? But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and he walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why do you doubt? Or in the beloved King James, oh, ye of little faith, why do you doubt? Here, the disciples think that they've seen a ghost. And then Jesus identifies himself. And the way he identifies himself is really interesting. In our English translation, we just read, it is I. That's three words. Actually, the original Greek, it's only two words, which translates more literally to I am. And if you remember your Exodus story, how does God introduce himself to Moses? He said, who should I tell Pharaoh who you are? And God says, tell them I am sent you. And Jesus uses the same identifier. Who's that? I am, Jesus said. And so I want us to take a look also at the exchange between Jesus and Peter. Peter took an initial step of faith to get out of the boat. He saw the wind and he cried out in fear and he says, and he was afraid, the passage says, but Jesus didn't necessarily rebuke his fear. What did Jesus actually rebuke him for. He said, where's your faith, Peter? Oh, you of little faith. He didn't say, oh, you of much fear. He said, oh, you of little faith. Just like we saw previously that we have a God-given defense mechanism of fight or flight, some of us find ourselves living in a perpetual state of fight or flight mode with everything going on in our world today. But Jesus... But Jesus is called, the great I am is calling us to deeper trust and to deeper faith. And as a pastor, I be, which I believe it's my responsibility to study people and frankly to study myself, what I notice going on all around us these days is that our level of fear has left that healthy side, has left that healthy side of our brains and it's made it increasingly difficult for us to live a life of firm faith in the midst of all the trials and things 
going on around us. And this, this is where I believe the Spirit of God is calling us into a deeper conversation. And to make matters worse, it doesn't help that we live in a fear-based culture. How many of you guys have seen this documentary on Netflix called The Social Dilemma? If you haven't seen it, it's quite interesting. The whole point of this documentary, the whole point is to show how artificial intelligence actually controls what you see, the advertisements that you see on your different social media outlets. They literally sell your attention. That's how they make money. And for many of us, what holds our attention? Fearful news. Fearful news holds our attention. And if you don't believe me, just look at the 24-hour news cycle, as we saw from some of the findings in that survey. And so the more of something that you watch, the more it appears on your feet, in your feed. And so in some very deep-rooted ways, we're literally being programmed almost to live in fear. It's capitalizing on the God-given immediate fear system that God has given us to keep us safe. It's just to emphasize, really, that what you consume, what you consume through your eyes and through your ears really matters. It really does. On the other hand, it's interesting to note what the most stated command in Scripture is. The most stated command in Scripture is not to love your neighbor more. It's not to be less prideful. It's not even to be more holy. It's to fear not. 366 times, actually, one for every single day of the year, plus the leap year. So you're not getting out of it on February 29th every four years. Fear is not in any of the list of the vices. It's not on what people commonly call the seven deadly sins but it is the number one command in scripture. And I just want to cite John Orberg, author of that long titled book one more time, because he really, I don't even want to paraphrase him. I think he has some very great thoughts that I want to share with you. He says, my hunch is not that God says fear not so much because he wants to, he wants us to be spared from emotional discomfort. That's not the point of fearing not. In fact, Usually, he says it to get people to do something that's going to lead them into greater fear anyways. Isn't that an interesting thought? See, genuine faith might not actually remove fear from your life. It might get you closer to the fear. It will make you confront the fear because that is what genuine faith does. The solution for Peter wasn't to get back in the boat. When he was afraid, it wasn't for him to take step backwards, get back into the boat. No, it was for him to move forward through the fear being caused by the weights onto Jesus, to press on forward in faith. See, fear not is used so often in the Bible because if we allow it to, it has a, a faith choking effect. And it becomes the number one reason why human beings do not do what God is asking them to do. I want you to think about this. Peter didn't sink because the waves were too strong. The fear only overtook him when he took his eyes off of Jesus. When he took his eyes off of Jesus. Which leads to our final point. A faith that knows how to focus on Jesus will move past fear. A faith that knows how to focus on Jesus will move past fear. Read with me one more time verse 32. Verse 32. 
Verse 32 says, and when they climbed into the boat and the wind died down, then those who were in the boat worshiped him, worshiped Jesus, saying, truly, you are the son of God. See, when Jesus shows up, he proved that he was greater than the storm that they were facing. They saw him for who he was and they worshiped him. I know all of us here today, we can't pretend that we're not going through some situations that are really tempting us to fear and not have faith. All of us are. I know many of you parents are praying every single day for the safety of your kids at school. Not just from other kids, from COVID and other other things going on. Some of you have maybe received some very grim diagnosis. Some of you have lost loved ones recently. Some of you have been putting off some important conversations because of fear. Some of you are afraid to ask for help because you're afraid to look weak. Some of you are afraid to forgive someone who's hurt you in the past. Some of you are afraid to be honest with God and the people around you about what's really going on in your heart and what you really think about this faith. And some of you are also afraid to maybe address some character issues that you're hiding. Some of us, which I suffered from a lot, you're afraid constantly of the future and what it will behold. Some of you are afraid that the, that the, the world around us, that your kids are going to be growing up in. Some of us are afraid of that. And Jesus is calling you to keep your eyes on him. Not to ignore those fears, not to ignore them. They're there. They're real. They're present. But to acknowledge his presence as well and to continue to take one step closer to him with every passing day. And so this isn't poetry. This is real life stuff. So I want to give you just two helpful things to help you walk by faith this week, this very week in the midst of your fears. So number one, you need to bring your fear out of the dark. You need to bring your fear out of the dark. See, naming your fear defangs it. It's the first step in overcoming your fear. You have to admit it. It allows us to open up with others who are going through the same thing. You see, sometimes we fall for the trap that we think we're the only ones, the only ones fearful or fearing this certain situation. And what do we do? We isolate ourselves. We isolate ourselves from our community. So when we bring out of the dark, we can talk to others about it. We receive prayer and we see it for what it is. It's real. It's present, but it's not ultimate and it's not determinative. And secondly, attach a promise to it. Attach a promise to your fear. And that frame of reference that will help you, that will guide you through that fear that you're facing is God's word, is God's word. My mom, who's one of the the godliest women I know, she did this during a very difficult season in her life, maybe the most difficult season in her life. She memorized and she repeated Isaiah 41.10 every single day, sometimes multiple times a day. And it says, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. For I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
You see, when you meditate on God's word, that it transforms your life. It transforms your perspective. You're able to walk in faith with Jesus more closely. Here are some examples that you might want to use. In Psalm 27, 1, it says, the Lord is my light and he's my salvation. Of whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Romans 8, 15 says, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship. Acts 17, 27 and 28, God is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and we, live and we move and we have our being. Psalm 23, 4 says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, the psalmist says, for you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And like these verses, there's so many others, I would encourage you if, you, if it's hard for you to open the Bible and find them, just go on Google, type in verses about fear not, and you'll get a whole list of verses that you could memorize and that you could attach to your fear as a promise for this season. Friends, bring your fear out of the dark, attach a promise to it, and focus on Jesus when you're tempted to fear. And let that transform your walk and your faith on a daily basis. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are grateful that you do not abandon us in the midst of our fear. In fact, you bring us deep peace, a peace that others around us cannot imagine and don't know how we acquire. And Lord, I ask today for everyone in their respective lives or the fears that they're facing, Lord, they're real, they're present. Lord, but would we acknowledge that you are real and that you are present as well and that you're, to, you're there to walk with us and instill the peace that only you bring when we put our faith and our trust in you. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. My prayer for you today is that you would fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Church, would you take this blessing as you go and you be the church out there? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Church, go with God. If you need prayer, we do have a prayer team standing by at my left, your right in the back of the sanctuary. Go with God. We will see you next week. God bless.